Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a 12-year-old boy. <clears throat> I mean, excuse me, my name is Eric Bischoff. And I am not buff, but I brought some stuff. Welcome to episode 238, NWO Sold Out 1997. Finally! A pay-per-view! Worth watching? The world ain't big enough for the both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They could have done one of these two taglines. That's pretty decent. world ain't big enough for the both of us. Makes sense in the context mm. of the NWO WCW. I would have just taken finally. <laughs> <laughs> and it took them, what, another four years before they went out of... Uh... I mean, we've been doing pay-per-views mm-hmm. for 14 years with WCW, and they're just now finally giving us a pay-per-view worth watching. I mean, they're kind of putting themselves down, yeah. think about hey, it. Hey, uh, we, we had a rave review of Starcade 96. I'd say that was yeah. worth watching. And technically, this is NWO, not mm. WCW. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because they're not the same yeah. thing. So this would be the inaugural sold-out produced by WCW. It took place on January 25th, 1997, from the Five Seasons Center in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, with an attendance of 5,120 people. Sounds about right. Can I ask a question? Hmm. Was there a motorcycle event happening in Iowa? Why were they in Iowa? <laughs> Eric, basically, everything about the show, as we go forward, and we'll talk about a lot of it, they wanted this show to basically be counterculture to like the norm and because that's what MWO is you know, yeah. or at least that's what they're going for so they basically went to some place that is out of the norm of where they would go in Cedar Rapids, Iowa because, yeah just like off the beaten path most, usually if you're going to go to Iowa you're going to go to Des Moines not Cedar Rapids yeah or you know Surprised they didn't just go to Wyoming or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, because Eric Bischoff loves Wyoming. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, well, if, if we're selling this many NWO shirts, we can go anywhere, right? I guess so. Possibility. From what I remember watching the show, it seemed like that the arena was pretty full, but it's just not a very big spot. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't That's know. pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But we are in Iowa. Yeah, we are. So, Shane. Did you do what you do? Well, possibly. I haven't decided yet, but... Yes, we are in Iowa. We are in Cedar Rapids. I coincidentally grew up next to Iowa in Nebraska. But my niece happened to grow up in Iowa. If you ask her, she's from Nebraska, but she went to school in Iowa. So, Erica, if you're listening there, I corrected it. So, yeah, we, uh, we're in Iowa, and I did what I do, where as, as far as I, I looked up... What the hell is Iowa known for? Corn, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm from the Cornhusker state, so if anybody's going to represent corn, it's going to be Nebraska. So, sorry, Iowa, but 
we'll, we'll get you with popcorn or something like that. I looked at the list, and uh, obviously we'd been to Iowa before where I brought some loose meat sandwiches. Couldn't bring those again. Thought about bringing those again, but I figured we need something different. I hit up Erica and asked her, what did you have when you were in school in Iowa? Some stables. Um, yeah. What do you miss? What did you love? What should I What should I have? And she told me a couple of things, some stuff that I had had before that I just didn't know that was a name for it. One thing that popped out on the list that I had to ask her about, which she ended up saying that, yeah, they have this all the time at family events and holidays and whatnot. It is a Snickers salad. Yes, Snickers like the candy bar. It's, it's I guess, a, a Midwestern or Iowan take or spin on an ambrosia salad in a way. It is a little bit of instant vanilla pudding. It's... The pudding has Cool Whip folded in to it, and then you uh, add some chopped up Granny Smith apples, some chopped up Snickers bars, mix it all together. I decided that we were going to go fancy with this because, you know, it is it is the first ever NWO pay-per-view, <laughs> so we've, we gotta, we got to be a little bit classy. Try to make this thing look cute. <laughs> yeah. Something about this show has to be cute. Yeah, we've got uh, the Snickers salad. I put it in martini glasses, put a little bit of a caramel swirl inside of the glass, and then drizzle a little caramel sauce on top of the salad as well, and put some just fresh slices of, or not slices, but chunks chunks of apple and uh, Snickers on top. It tastes like a carameled apple. I was, yeah. I was, I didn't know what Absolutely. the hell to expect from it. I'm I mean, willing I, to bet this is the most dressed up and only time anybody's served a Snickers salad in a martini glass. Possibly. Because this is like 4th of July, like trash food. Yes. But, you know, here it is. The <laughs> Not that it tastes bad, but it is a trashy thing to make. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those simple, easy, it's, it wasn't as cheap as I thought it was going to be because, well, I take that back. I bought other stuff with it. So, I mean, it was six apples, a bag of Snickers candy bars, Cool Whip, and pudding with a little bit of milk so i guess all in all it was like less than 15 dollars for it but yeah it's it's good it's sweet it's not too sweet that's true sorry i had to throw the nwo <laughs> reference in there <laughs> matt have you ever heard of this or had this before i had never heard of this before mm -hmm. I, I uh was telling shane as he was preparing it that i saw the ingredients and i was like snicker bar salad i haven't had this since i was probably in like or third grade maybe at a pool party in my backyard after it was like the end of the like baseball season so they get all the kids around and give them their participation trophies and uh feed them pizza and stuff or whatever but one of the mothers of uh one of the kids brought this thing called snickers bar Sa snicker bar salad and me as a chubby child who was not very good at baseball thought that this was like the greatest thing ever and see this may have helped me not being great at baseball because <laughs> I mean I, I sucked at baseball but I loved apples I loved Snickers yeah. Cool Whip pudding caramel but I was also one of those picky kids where food can't touch everything uh, sounds weird when it's mixed together because that's what when I when I hit up my niece her response back to me you know from her and my my nephew her husband was you've never had that before I'm like well yeah, I was I was picky, but I had it. In, like, I got it now. Sacramento, so maybe that lady was from the Midwest. But I was the, uh... today years old when I realized <laughs> that it's all good mixed together. 
It is. I think that it blew my mind that you could cut up a Snickers bar and put it in stuff. <laughs> As a child, I was like, what? Snickers and Cool Whip? Oh, yeah. Crazy. I mean, Snickers blizzards were always my Heck my yeah. shit from Dairy I mean, Queen, so. There's not many, like, outside of stepping on it, like, a Snickers bar is always, it says, it's always good. Oh, yeah. So, the place know. we worked, or I worked at in high school, we would cut up our own Snickers there to uh, put in our shakes, and we'd put it through, like, the the meat slicer basically and just like shave it so oh, it would come wow. out all crumbly and stuff getting innovative that's right but i'm gonna do what i do as far as take a bite on air because you know you love to hear me eat so i mean that's partially why you tune in right mm-hmm. right for this so, moment right here moment like this some people wait a lifetime here we go sorry kelly clarkson didn't mean to steal your lyrics Ugh. truly foul mm-hmm well, something that would happen right around the same time as Sold Out, Emerald Live would debut on the Food Network. Bam! Here in the week. I was going to say bang. It's bam, right? Mm-hmm. Bam. So crazy because like, I'm always like, what? that His catchphrase, which is just yelling bam, was a thing that everybody did and was known, but it's not a good catchphrase. I mean, it's not even like it's not. I mean, if if you could see me right now, it's the the Salt Bay of yeah. the '90s where, but, like, he could have. Sh- I don't know. Bam! It's just like bam. It's like yeah. I, That's what he does. I He's guess throwing the spices I in. Know, bam! Get up a notch. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a method to his madness. There is. Whatever happened to everyone? He was like kind of the first like celebrity chef, and now everyone's just making money off of his back. He, let's see here. Not a first celebrity chef, but as far as, like, people love food television mm-hmm. shows and stuff. Like, he's kind of, you know, there's, not Paula Deen, uh, who's the lady that did the French cooking? Mark, or, um, Julie, Julie Child. Child. Julie, there we go. Yeah, there's Julie Childs, there's, like, Paul Prudhomme, and I probably some other people. hosting a series on Roku right now. Okay. Um, I'll stay paid, Emerald. The, um, there was, what is it? I think there was an Asian guy that had one on like PBS back um, in the day too. But either way, like Emerald was the first like truly household name one Ming as far as I remember as a kid. East meets West with Ming Tsai or yeah maybe yeah because he showed up years later, which was it threw me because I remember Ming Tsai and Bobby Flay like yeah, coming Bobby up Flay's together, and then twenty years later Ming Tsai is auditioning or cast in the next food network star or something mm. like that like how can you be the next one why do you have to be the next star you're ming Sai. people yeah, should, should be, know who the fuck you are he should be one of the judges you mean like bobby flay was yeah oh really dang what an insult <laughs> to ming the um but yeah i feel like emerald was the one that like made the food network pop i mean yeah it definitely was the first <laughs> cooking show that had a little bit of flair i mean that little that, spice that's why that, that's why they they, they totally played, like, the bang and the kick it up a notch. Like, it was just something he said, mm-hmm. but then, like, it caught on. And so they were like, okay, you need to make sure you're saying these things. Yeah. And it was, at that point, completely over the top. Yep. And then everybody had to come up with their catchphrase, and yeah. I mean, do you all have any favorite celebrity chefs that you, that you enjoy? Uh, I don't really watch a lot of cooking shows. I like the... Show that the Asian guy that owns restaurants in New York did. David Chang? Yeah, he had, what was that show? He was on a lot of it, and then it like kind of moved through. Uh, uh, on Netflix? Yeah. 
But it was pretty good. I remember watching that. It was like one of the last things like that I watched. I think it was. But it was I watch good. it. Yeah, too. yeah it was. It was great. good, but it wasn't like just him. It was like him for like kind of to like set the series up, and then they kind of went around to different people. And that I one was just fun. been called Chefs. Maybe. But I th- yeah, I remember no watching idea. that. But Celebrity Chefs isn't really my thing. I watched a lot of like the Bourdain shows, like No Reservations and whatnot. But I haven't read any of his books or anything. And those Same. shows were kind of travel shows they were you know about food and stuff but it wasn't yeah a lot of it was just him walking around talking yeah yeah it was yeah you didn't you could have zero interest in food and still find those shows interesting see like he him i liked what is that dude's name andrew zimmer david Chang. yeah i don't remember that being the name of it but it could have been but he i remember liking a show that he did or that one of the shows that he was seth rogan chrissy teigen on it? No, 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 not that one. No, this okay. was a kind of more of a serious documentary type of thing. Ugly Delicious. Maybe it was that. That sounds more right. But it was okay. one of his David Chang's things. Yeah, it's him basically traveling around doing things with stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Okay. Um, celebrity chef. I mean, I worked for Wolfgang Puck. He was awesome. I've always wanted to meet and you know one day say I worked for. Gordon Ramsay just to see because they're portrayed as polar opposites where Gordon is this big hothead that you know yells for reaction and Wolfgang Puck is all soft-spoken and super friendly and I mean I know Gordon is outside of the the TV cameras yeah I mean Um, he's definitely like playing into a character I've been a huge Top Chef fan forever so you know a lot of the ones that have come up from there Stephanie Izard she was, I think she's still my favorite. Richard well, Blaze. See, I Richard, like Richard. Richard Blaze is my favorite. I don't know. Yeah. What was it? Iron Chef? I remember that was a big show. Mm-hmm. Right. And then of course, Alton. Oh, yeah. Couldn't go wrong with some Alton. I forgot Brown. about Alton. Oh, yeah. I no, love no, he, he He says he's not a chef. So, whatever. <laughs> he's built, he's like, what if Bill Nye wasn't boring? <laughs> I mean, like, what I, if Bill Nye was fun? I, I, I it didn't make it to TV, but I shared camera time with Tyler oh. Florence at my restaurant when they came through for the great food truck race okay. years back. Is Guy Fieri a chef or just a personality? Uh, yeah, personality. Yeah. But I mean, he, he'd be on the celebrity yeah. chef yeah. list. I never watched much of he'd be I mean, a judge. At, the, at, the, at this point, most celebrity chefs are just, just personalities. Per- there, are, If you turn on Food Network at this point, there are... Zero cooking shows, really. Oh, it's all competition shows. Competition and like and travel type of shows or like spotlight shows. Yep. If you ever meet us out in the wild and you really (laughs) want to know one of the best stories ever about Bobby Flay, ask me about it. Okay. But I cannot put it on. Oh, I don't even know. I think I know the story. (laughs) If I do, I forgot. You can tell me later. But yeah, I mean, good. I'm glad Emerald's still getting paid. I feel like uh, he probably has not made near as much money as the people that came after him. He's a trailblazer. Exactly. He's he's. I don't know who to put him in as far as wrestling terms would be. Is he? Is he? Is Dustin he the Mister Wonderful? Is he, is he Dustin savage? Rhodes? Oh, is he savage? He could, yeah, it could be savage. Mister Wonderful, another one, because it's like, oh, they were yelling Paula in Madison Square Garden like before. Hogan became like you know yeah. worldwide famous, and people were still doing it. But Paul, but Paul Orndorff never became a household name. But yeah, maybe the Savage never quite got the flowers. 
still probably made really good money for the time. And maybe, you know, Cable was watched a lot more back then, too. So yeah, absolutely. He definitely had more eyes on him than a lot of these guys now. Yep, because there was less yeah. less shows to Harder to, to get around. shows made, because now people can can cook. I'm sure most, there's cooking shows on Netflix that do more numbers yeah, than the Cajun, shows on Cable. That Cajun old man that was on, I think he was on PBS, too. Oh, uh, was that Paul Prudhomme? I don't know. Y'all talk about I, I, I know he's Cajun. I'm gonna make up that stuff right there. That sounds like the kind of guy. I don't watch. <laughs> well, let's find out if this is the kind of show that we want to watch. Appeal the Band-Aid. Loser. Black and white <laughs> footage of the NWO riding on garbage trucks to the arena. So fitting. Some money. All that money. They got some garbage trucks. The police escorts them through snowy streets. As Eric Bischoff speaks about changing the world as everyone knows it. And Hollywood Hogan then joins them at the arena, having arrived in a limo, because he's too good for the garbage trucks. And he says he has backup. The Dallas Cowboys will be with him tonight. In some of that black and white stuff, I could have sworn I saw Sting in there. It was NWO Sting. It was NWO Sting. Okay. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? Yeah, because my first initial thought when they started showing all the people was... We're really at that point where they have this many members? Yeah, wow. I was like, yeah, I, I also had that same thought. I was like, how many of these motherfuckers are there already? Jesus. And then they, yeah, that's when I heard them talk about Dallas Cowboys. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense now. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys were on the garbage trucks. It no. literally was just the NWO members minus Hogan. Yeah, but it was just like, it was like still a lot of, a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think Chono was on the garbage trucks either. No. You had, you had six... Not really on a garbage truck, but running or walking behind them, he's but keeping walking. up with speed. He's ghost walking. He's ghost, walk- <laughs> ghost walking the whip. He's got his camera in hand. And everyone, once they hit the arena, they gather together and just start shouting random things at a camera. Literally all of them were talking at the same time. Couldn't mm-hmm. decide what any of them were saying. We then get the sold out logo before a video of Eric holding a press conference filled with quick cuts between his speech and sound bites from the NWO. Loser. It's very, like, kind of gave me almost Max Headroom vibes. Yeah. Which, it's not that cool, but... <laughs> no, Max Headroom is great. <laughs> Bischoff says, we are in control. Followed by thanking those who rose to the challenge to join their ranks. Before addressing those who offered themselves as opponents tonight. Saying, what the hell were you thinking? <sighs> we then go live to the arena... And Eric stands at a podium on a stage, introducing Hogan, Hall, and Nash, who appear on three big screens behind him, where they introduce the commentary team of Eric and Ted DiBiase. And Liz is just kind of standing there. Sounds good. I like me some DiBiase, but... We do like Ted DiBiase. Eric's made his way down some steps to the commentary area. It's not a table, it's... Literally, they're just sitting on some speakers. Yeah, they're sitting on, like, like roadie touring gear, you yeah. know. It's like sitting on the PA or, like, the amp case or whatever. And he forces Miss Elizabeth to take his winter coat off before placing his leather jacket onto him. And then that's the last we see of Miss Elizabeth for the entire evening. Yep. Thanks for showing up. Yep. Thanks for coming, Liz. I wonder how much she got paid for that. All right. 
And DiBiase can't get his headset on while Bischoff also has to remind him where the hard cam is. Because <laughs> he's like literally turned and like yeah. back to the camera and talking to Eric. It's like, dude, camera. <laughs> yeah, it's not behind the, It's not behind you. But he does it subtly. <laughs> do it. He literally goes, and the camera's over there. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. DiBiase, everything that you've learned over the last 10 years in wrestling, we're going to need you to forget. I mean, everything about the show is about as subtle as a fucking baseball bat. There you go. That's a better analogy right there. <laughs> so, at this point, I kind of want to talk about the set. Okay. It's interesting. Cause it's, it's a nice, it, it's a new it look. It is different than anything we have seen. Mm-hmm. So, like we said, there's like a stage area that's up top with some screens. Yeah, it's kind of like a big, uh, like a big staircase. Moderately steep. Yeah. Then you, stairs leading down to another stage where... Like the announcers are on one side, there's a band on the other side, and it's surrounded with like biker chicks, basically. Yeah, there's like a bunch of motorcycles, and then just girls sitting on motorcycles. And then that leads to a ramp down to the ring, and the ring has an NWO mat. I wonder if this was their original like view for the Sturgis thing that they did where everything was just like a dirt hole and dirt tracks and you know this was the vision that they had there and they started from the dirt area and now they've risen <laughs> to the full uh, I'm trying to make it does, more it does have a bit of a like kind of almost like a LA like hair metal vibe as far as like the look goes it's like kind of kind of grungy everything's like Dark, yeah, it feels like Motorhead should be the band that's yeah. playing over there. Like if LA was in Japan, that's how I would envision <laughs> it. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah. It's not. It's an interesting stage setup, and I don't think that it looks bad. Sometimes, sometimes less is more, and they don't do anything like too extravagant. It's not like the SmackDown Fist or anything like yeah. that. It's a Isn't little bit great, more than than. Uh, it's like not necessarily more or less. It's just different yeah yeah but not necessarily a, a bad way though i liked the look of the show kind of reminded me of uh, a few years ago they did the wwf did the the women's evolution show mm-hmm. and everyone was like oh they didn't put up a bunch of stuff for the women's show and it's like i get it but i think the show looks nice it looks like a wrestling show mm-hmm. i thought that that look of that show yeah. yeah did not deter me from watching it by any means matter of fact i think it added to some of the enjoyment I don't need LED screens on my ring aprons or posts or whatever. Yeah. So I think the show, the arena looks nice for what they're trying to do. Running, I agree with yeah. that. Running Man. That's what it reminded me of. Oh, uh, okay. That's like cool. Something from the set of that. Uh, longer and less good than the movie Running Man. Oh, yeah. Running Man, the yeah. movie. Well, <laughs> I heard they remade that, right? Uh, or did they no, not? They I remade Total Recall. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Thank God they didn't remake Running Man. I mean, yet. Yeah, it'll, uh, it's coming. Jason Jesse, Momoa in Running Man. Jesse Ventura, if you're listening, stop them. As I mentioned, there's a band, but if you watch on the network, you're never really going to hear them because of music rights, obviously. Um, Shane tells us that on his version, that because he, he doesn't have the internet yes so he gets to watch the vhs versions that it, was it, actually, it actually does show the band playing yeah and like you hear them play 
I heard them play one song. I don't know if they played any actual ring entrances for anybody, but I just remember them at one point there was a New World Order song that they were doing and it was just them in a grungy Okay, so manner. it wasn't New like, World Order. It wasn't like the New like, World Order. The New Hendrix, World Order. Like, deep purple type ripoff song that they no. normally play. But yeah, something a little more a little more of the time. Yeah. It it was not great. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, maybe maybe you had to be there. In my head it's just like discount Alice in Chains riffs. Yeah. We then go to our first match. Chris Jericho versus Masahiro Chono. And the voice of the NWO, Neil Pruitt, is Loser. our ring announcer. And he mocks the WCW guys as they come to the ring while they also don't get any music. Uh, really just kind of scoops the balls out of the show immediately. Yep. Like Chris Jericho, let people cheer who they're going to cheer. They're the faces. I understand the sentiment behind it. But Chris Jericho, Masahiro Chono, on paper, sounds great, mm-hmm. right? Nick Patrick is going to be our ref for every match tonight. Somebody and, got paid. And he no longer hides his affiliation with the NWO. As, as he's literally wearing a shirt. While he's refereeing these matches. Yeah. And we didn't mention it at Wrestling World 97 a couple weeks ago. That Masahiro had actually joined the NWO in the middle of December. Basically becoming the leader of NWO Japan. First international member. A sister stable in New Japan. Masamahiro Chono. So our two competitors lock up with Chono accusing Chris of hair pulling, which of course the ref believes him. Totally. Pulled that rat tail right out of his head. Before Masahiro tosses Jericho out to the floor, as we see several WCW representatives, such as Harlem Heat, the Nasty Boys, the Horsemen, and Randy Anderson, all make their way to some seats in the crowd. They bought their tickets. Mm-hmm. Can't kick them out. I know, so you're like, okay, well, I guess they won't be wrestling tonight. Back in the ring, Chono challenges Chris to a test Just of strength. Until Masahiro cheats to gain control with kicks, side rushing leg sweeps, and a flying shoulder tackle. Chono tries for a suplex, but Jericho counters it into one of his own, followed by a wheel kick to send Masahiro outside, before leaping out on him with a springboard crossbody. Now Chris kicks Chono into a ring post Posted. before charging at him, only for Masahiro to move, causing Jericho to collide knee first with the steel. Mm. And Chono pounces on the injury with chop blocks, dragon screw leg whip, and attempts to lock on an STF. And Jericho's selling the knee, so the fans uh, obviously are starting a USA chant. For Even, yeah, Chris, for Jericho Chris Jericho from Canada. Uh-huh. It's like, not everybody loves the NWO. It's just a good-looking shirt. Jericho fires up with chops, a leaping back elbow, and a German suplex, which gets a slow two-count, which is another story of the night. Yep. So Chris nails a clothesline for another slow two-count. And Jericho starts to argue with Patrick, which allows Masahiro to recover to deliver a reverse DDT. Seen through the eyes of a weird camera. Feels a lot like the referee camera from a while back, but it's it's basically a GoPro on like a selfie stick that they just they're holding over yeah. the ring. I will say that it's maybe 
the most successful like attempt at counterculture that they pull off on this show because like they're interesting angles that you've never seen it's not as high a quality and it gives it kind of that gritty feeling or whatever but i think that it is pretty successful compared to the things that i don't think are successful (laughs) chono heads up top but he botches a flying shoulder tackle but makes up for it by setting up a table on the floor and trying to suplex chris out of the ring through it only for jericho to reverse to bring masahiro in the hard way Chris follows up with a missile dropkick, but his knee causes him to not cover immediately, leading to a two-count. Jericho with a snap suplex and a lion salt, but again his knee hits the mat, causing pain, so only a near fall. Now Chris heads up top, but Chono meets him there to shove him off through the table, before rolling him back into the ring to nail a Yakuza kick for the pin and, and the, the win. win. NWO one, WCW zero. Yep, America nothing. Oh, sorry, loser. <laughs> oh yeah, perfect mm-hmm. spot for mm-hmm. <laughs> They need to uh, hire me to be the guy that just says post it. <laughs> Bischoff and DiBiase then talk about the Miss NWO competition. Oh yeah, and Eric shows us pictures of some of the women in the competition as. Fans are chanting boring. I'm right and there with you, fans. Uh, but it's like ladies that like sent a letter and a photo of, this, of themselves, and it feels like a, a Dateline like clip of like murdered women or something. It's so fucking creepy for some reason. And it really it really skeeved me out. They, uh, yeah, the, the names didn't always match with what he was saying as they were saying the name. Well, this is later on, I guess. We'll get to that. Yeah, but yeah. Oh. Yep. He then admits the women they chose had to be able to pay for their own accommodations and travel, which wasn't completely true as Bischoff literally sent his crew out to find women who, one, owned their own motorcycle and lived in the area. So, yes, they were paying for their own accommodations. It's called their house. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, yeah, they they drove... uh, Gas from home to the the arena. None of them probably live more than 45 minutes away. It's fucking Uh, Cedar Rapids. It's also funny, too, because he's like, yeah, we didn't pay for these women to come to the show to be on pay-per-view. But, like, in the first match... He talks about how they like pulled out all the stops and blah blah blah. But he's like, "But we're spending, but it's not our money. We're spending Ted's money or whatever." And he's like, "He's trying to be too damn cool." Mm-hmm. Eric then sends it to Jeff Katz, and I got a little fun, some fun information about Mr. Katz here. Cat. I, I actually found him to be quite interesting. Let's hear it. I mean, he looks for reference if you don't watch it. He looks like the like baby brother of like James Corden. How old do you think uh, he was? He was 28 is my guess. He was like 19. Oh, well, he's a large man. They age differently. <laughs> so, Iowa. basically as a Corn teenager, fan. he was a host of a sports talk show on a Michigan radio station in which he would interview different personalities that also included wrestlers, such as Hogan and Flair. Okay. Which would lead him to meeting people in the business and leading to this opportunity in WCW. And he was doing this like when he was 17? He didn't he didn't leave the job until he was like 21. 
Okay. Basically, he became NWO's version of Mean Gene, mm-hmm. and he would do the NWO hotline while Mean Gene was doing the WCW hotline. Okay. Ah. Yeah. It's a good gig if you can get it. Mm-hmm. But he would leave WCW and become a studio executive and film producer for films such as Snakes on a Plane, Freddy vs. Jason, okay. Deadpool. Oh, he, wow. He actually is the one who championed the idea of Ryan Reynolds as the main character of that one. Okay. I mean, he definitely cleaned up on that. I mean, Snakes on a Plane, I believe, was more successful than people expected, but it, Deadpool was a certified fucking blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. He would also begin writing comics as well. With the biggest title uh, was Booster Gold, where he was the co-writer with Jeff Johns. Okay, I know Booster Gold. Before he then returned to the world of wrestling, where he would use Kickstarter to raise funds for the Wrestling Retribution Project. And the show is on YouTube, and it contains talent such as Kenny Omega, LA Knight, Amazing Red, and many other indie favorites that are now from like yeah. 10 years ago that are hmm. a lot of them are now in AEW in huh. WWF. That's neat. Or WWE. Yeah, so yeah, he uh he's done a lot. Obviously, he made uh, some good money in film in order to try to produce his own wrestling show. But back in the arena, Jeff would interview a woman without introducing her. And asking her what the term NWO going all the way means to her. And she mumbles an answer that subtitle says was Malaysia. But I felt like I heard fellatio. She did say that. I heard her. Okay. I'm just making sure that... <laughs> She's like, uh, I, I guess I won't have sex with them, but I might blow one of them. Katz then moves on to number two, who has a mullet, asking what she would do to tame big Kevin Nash. And she responds with, anything it takes. (laughs) So Jeff asks for details, but she remains silent. So Katz just calls her a minx and sends it back to the action. And this is like pure, like cringe humor Mm -hmm. stuff where it's just uncomfortable. They didn't tell these, give these ladies any like good ideas for things to say or like prep them for the questions at all. And it's so obvious and awkward. And see, this is why... Growing up in Nebraska, it always bugged the hell out of me. Anytime you saw somebody from the Midwest on TV, whether it be a wrestling show, The Tonight Show, something like that, it's like they purposely go out of the way to find the most ridiculous people possible just so that they can mm-hmm. embarrass them on TV to make themselves look better. And This didn't yeah. work in either direction. No. This made all of them look like idiots. I will say that Jeff Katz did a good job of keeping it moving, but... That's about all he's keep, Yeah, like keeping it moving. Not that exactly. he's doing a great job here or anything, <laughs> but he's like, okay, like he just, he's good at moving past it. He doesn't, he doesn't clam up. He's, uh, comes from radio, guys. <laughs> just learned that. We then go to our second match Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart versus Big Bubba Rogers in a Mexican death match. Yeah, neither of these guys are Mexican. I don't think Hugh Morris is. But I do love that the they do like the dumb voiceover thing. But it's like Big Bubba. It's like we'll fight and you like a tortilla. It's like the big voiceover over the PA. It's like, <laughs> these aren't even well written jokes. Nope. 
So this was originally supposed to be Conan. Okay, that makes the more dungeon sense. tasked to getting revenge on Bubba for his betrayal and leaving the Dungeon of Doom. Conan ended up having some travel issues after working a show in Mexico. So the Laughing Man is a last-minute replacement. All right. And the rules of this match are basically last man standing. You win when your opponent can't answer a 10 count. Yeah. At this point already, the show has the energy of a uh, wake. Yep, I mean, we're only on our second match, and we've already heard a boring chant from the crowd, so... Yeah. Off and running. We're not not even 30 minutes into the show. (laughs) No. Eric's already... Yeah, and Eric immediately just starts shitting on the Macho Man. Nobody wants to hear that. Well, Macho Man had come out on Nitro the previous week saying that WCW nor the NWO needed his services and that Savage just needs to get a life. Yeah. So basically, yeah, he's just shitting on him completely. Yeah. Hopefully was this at the time that there was talk of Savage going back to WWF? So uh, he was off the air? No, he was, he was back on the air at this point. Okay. And he started hanging out with Sting up in the rafters for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. Because he's a free agent. Yes. Neither one of them's talking. Yeah. <laughs> so our two competitors start the match off with some shoving and clotheslines, which sends Rogers out of the ring to regroup, only for Hugh to follow out as well to ram Bubba into the ring steps. Loser. Back in the ring, Rogers hits the funny bone multiple times before attempting to handcuff Morris to the ropes. But the laughing man is able to escape and clothesline Bubba out of the ring once more. Jimmy Hart gets a few kicks in before Rogers returns to the ring, where Hugh sends Bubba to the corner where his jacket is hung. And Rogers reaches in, grabbing a chain to nail Morris in the face when he charges in. And when Patrick sees it, he just asks that the laughing man brought it into the ring, so the ref allows it. I mean, it's a Mexican deathmatch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be anything goes. It's, it's, it's a deathmatch. Bubba uses the chain to whip Hugh several times, but Morris finally avoids one and kicks the chain away, allowing him to pick it up and deliver a chain-filled fist, knocking Rogers down. Hughes goes up top to nail no laughing matter. Which is a nice-looking moonsault that I didn't expect out of him. Before the ref just starts making a very slow count, pretending like, like, Oh, Jimmy! What are you doing, Jimmy? Like, one! Jimmy! Quit, quit, do it. Two. So he keeps having to just basically restart his count, which allows Bubba to recover and attack from behind. The Laughing Man reverses a whip to hit a corner splash and a clothesline, laying Rogers out again, with Patrick again being slow. Morris now picks up the handcuffs and uses them to punch Bubba, but an eye rake allows Rogers to land a leaping forearm to take Hugh down. Morris with a pair of low blows himself before tossing Bubba to the floor, where they head up the ramp, where Hugh body slams Bubba on the stage area. The laughing man then walks up the steps, goes for a corkscrew moonsault, but Rogers moves in time, before walking back down the ramp, stealing one of the women's bikes, and slowly (laughs) riding it into Hugh, knock him down. For the 10 count. It is fun, too, because, like, well, he has to stop before the stairs, so he, like, you know, it's not very uh, graceful, but... Uh, it's a good stump fall. Yeah. I mean, I mean Hugh, Hugh, like, climbs up those 
stairs and then he like it's like oh that's too high and he goes down one and he kind of does almost like you like threw a cat across the room yeah. <laughs> like he just kind of like like does a like a, a weird just kind of turns around and like, for splash yeah like, <laughs> it's very silly i mean it was the the ending was probably the the best move of the match i guess I don't know. The moonsault was nice. Yeah, uh, that's true. No, I like, about that. I mean, Keith no, Morris has always had a really good moonsault. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bischoff then sends it to Babe Hunter Cats. Hmm. Literally what he called it. Was I know, like, the commentary just what? kills, killing me. And uh, Jeff's mic doesn't work for a moment, but he's finally able to ask a blonde with big hair what she would do to be in one of Hogan's movies. She responds with, whatever it takes. So Eric calls her out for saying the same answer as the last one. Well, you know, if you just gave them actual answers, they wouldn't say that. Yeah, I know, and it's funny, too, because it's like, these are supposed to be, He's they keep referencing, like, oh, these hot biker ladies, and they just look. Nah. Like, I'm not trying to call these women uh, ugly by any means, but they don't look like, they don't look like the girls from a motorcycle magazine. Mm-hmm. Like, no. and, and I think this uh, number four, I believe it was, was like the one that was like, Maybe the only one that would have made it to one of those. <laughs> if, uh, like, it's Jeff, weird. Jeff calls this woman, number four, buoyant. Because she has large chest. Exactly. Yeah. Saying, to quote DiBiase, everyone has a price. So what's hers? And he claims to have a buck fifty on him, so she says, you would walk away with a big bill. Like he didn't have enough money. She's going to have to charge. She's going to have to send him an invoice. Oh, yeah. What she needs is more than a buck fifty. I mean, doesn't matter what you look like. You deserve or, more than a buck fifty. Or it means that she only, she's willing to only take $50. <laughs> True. I took it that way. Oh, uh, okay. Mm. I, when he said a buck fifty, I didn't think he meant uh, 150 Yeah, I just figured a dollar fifty. That's what I thought he meant. Okay, yeah. It can be uh, construed either way. It could be. Yeah. Still not funny. Nope. <laughs> Katzen sends it back to the action, but not before we see biker women dancing behind the screens with Bischoff comparing it to James Bond. Oh, yeah. And these women uh, can't dance. Yeah. They, That's the funny part. They can't do their hair, they can't do their makeup, and they can't dance. Yeah, I assume these are different ladies behind the screens, but... To quote, to quote our, WC, <laughs> our NWO ring announcer, Losers. <laughs> Eric then shows off the NWO website, with Ted claiming that he has his own website, with Bischoff just saying, what, what are you talking about? He doesn't know what he's I knew about. what he meant, because he's like, oh, because like if you click on his name, he has his own page. Page, yeah. So that's what he, he meant, page, not website. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he's 42. He doesn't know, he doesn't <laughs> know what the internet is. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. It was yeah. still new. Uh-huh. His wife sends emails when he needs his dial-up. No. He thought his, his hearing kids. aid was going out. He's yeah. forty-two. What do you expect? I have my own website. It's like you have your own page, and it's a little different. So we go to our third match: Jeff Jarrett versus Mister Wall Street. And Jarrett keeps going after Wall Street with closed fists. So Patrick reprimands and pulls him away, allowing Michael to send Double J to the ropes, only for Wall Street to be taken down by a shoulder block, a hip toss, and a crossbody. For a slow two count, leaving Jarrett to continue arguing with the ref. Yeah, and there's some cut shots of uh, Deborah because you know she's the wife of Mongo, who's in the Four Horsemen, and Jeff has the 
Ric Flair stamp of approval. Also, you can't you can't do that. Deborah looks ten times better than any of these motorcycle my motorcycle girls. Like, what were they? Th- I, I think he has the stamp of approval by Deborah too. But oh yeah, just maybe. We're, we're getting there. In time, Michael rolls up Double J for a near fall, but he telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Jarrett to face plant Wall Street before choking him on the ropes, using the five count to his advantage. Double J then goes for a running straddle, but Patrick shoves Wall Street out of the way, causing Jarrett to crotch himself, allowing Michael to clothesline Double J out to the floor. Wall Street drops Jarrett across the railing before dumping him into the front row, while Deborah McMichael continues to look unconcerned. Back in the ring, Michael locks on a sleeper, with Deborah starting to drag Mongo to ringside to help his fellow horsemen, even though Steve doesn't like Double J. Jarrett somehow escapes and returns the favor, but Patrick calls it a chokehold, forcing him to release the sleeper hold. Double J then telegraphs a back body drop with Wall Street kicking him away and dropping an elbow before putting on a rear chin lock with leverage that looks a lot like a choke to take Jarrett down to the mat. Double J rallies to escape and hits an atomic drop and a snap suplex before coming off the second rope with a falling fist only for Michael to avoid. And Jarrett starts working the leg before applying the figure four only for Patrick, the referee, to drag Wall Street to the ropes to cause a break. Boo. And there's boos from the crowd. I mean, it's, it feels like this show is set up to make the crowd hate the NWO. And if it's a, they're supposed to be heels, but I don't think... But they also want to be cool, and they're selling t-shirts. It's just uh, so many mixed signals. I mean, the mission of the NWO was to put WCW out of business. So if they go to Iowa and they put on a horrible show, then maybe nobody will ever come back to watch another show again. I mean, I know if I was there, I'd probably have that same (laughs) thought process. So Double J starts arguing with the ref once again as Deborah continues to drag her husband to ringside. And the two men then trade ab stretches with leverage, with Michael finally being in control, which brings Mongo to the apron to clock Wall Street with his briefcase. He still has it? Jarrett makes the cover, with McMichael threatening Patrick with the briefcase as well to make a correct count. For the pin! And and the the win! win. So there's that. To quote the uh the raven nevermore god i wish uh yeah i wish that was the last minute of the show <laughs> yeah to, uh do you to quote the the crowd boring boring well i'm boring. trying to figure out a way to, <laughs> to quote jim Cornette. this is flatter than a plate full of piss <laughs> and every match has been flatter than a plate full of piss <laughs> eric sends it to jeff katz oh brother he says we're halfway through the contest and I looked at the time when he said that, and we were at like 49 minutes. I know. <laughs> I want to die. Of an almost three-hour show. I legitimately wrote down, I want to die. <laughs> so you notes. can tell that young little Jeffrey, that was his name, right? Jeff? Yeah. Katz. Yeah, Mr. Katz. Oh, what's his face? Yeah, you can tell he started his entertainment career as a young kid because he cannot really tell time all that well. Well, he then calls our next contestants the senior division. <laughs> And Jeff asks a woman what part of her anatomy she would use to win. And she responds with, 
Her feet? Yeah. Yeah. That's not... Yep. If all else fails, put your toes in his mouth, right? Right. (laughs) I hate that. Katz then interviews someone's grandmother, who can't hear real well, asking her what she'd use to buff Buff Bagwell's biceps. Huh? Say that three times fast. (laughs) She says, after she finally kind of understands what he says, how would I explain this? So Jeff says her miracle ear must not be turned up. So she's disqualified. Uh-huh. And spoiler alert. She's not disqualified. She's not disqualified. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is this? Yeah. You're supposed to tell these, give these women like the some prompts, some ideas, at least the question that they're going to get ahead of time. I mean, I get it if it's a house show, but... Dude, how show? On. You know why house shows are great? It's because they're a series of wrestling matches. Uh-huh. They'll do like usually one angle or something like that. Yeah. Just set up I remember match. at house shows yeah. back then. Well, I mean, this is WWF, but back in the day, we'd have a, a brother love segment in the ring. Oh, really? Yeah. And the ones I went to, I don't remember anything um, like that. It was like 98, probably. So we go to our fourth match. Scotty Riggs versus Buff Bagwell. Alrighty. American males explode. Yep. The second member of American males, the underdog to Buff Bagwell. I don't remember what else he was saying, but he was making fun of Scotty Riggs as he went down to the ring. So Riggs jumps the gun to attack Buff from behind with forearms, clotheslines, and back body drops that sends Bagwell out to the floor to regroup. Back in the ring, Buff with some right hands before they trade leapfrogs when Scotty lands a drop kick and a belly-to-belly suplex, before also hip-tossing Bagwell over the ropes. Hmm. And I was surprised that they didn't get a disqualification. I think Eric also mentioned it mm-hmm. as well. He did. These are NWO rules. But it was a WCW guy that did it, so like, why would you ah, disqualify him? Very true. In the match, quick. Who really knows? Mm-mm. Riggs with a slingshot plancha, but Buff then reverses a whip to send Scotty into a guardrail and rams him into the apron. Bagwell with forearms on the apron, only for Riggs to retaliate by yanking the arm down across the ropes, before leaping off the top with a double axe handle for a two count. Scotty then goes for a suplex, but Buff counters it into a rubber band slam, before knocking him off the ropes into the railing. Back in the ring, Bagwell has control with stomps, turnbuckle smashes, and chokes across the ropes before delivering a gut buster and a powerbomb for a near fall. And the crowd is as soon as Bagwell gets in any offense. It's Bagwell sucks chance. Oh, yeah. Buff then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Riggs to counter into a sunset flip, grabbing at the tights to get him over, exposing Bagwell's stuff, only for the ref to reprimand him for his actions. It's a family show, okay? Buff responds with a clothesline and a camel clutch that Scotty eventually counters into an electric chair drop before countering a suplex into a small package for a two count, followed by an atomic drop, an insiguri, and a tornado DDT. Scotty continues with a pair of drop kicks before they start running the ropes with both going for crossbodies that sees Bagwell land on top for a near fall. Now Buff goes for a neckbreaker, but Riggs counters it into a backslide pin attempt for a two count. Then nails a powerbomb for a near fall. 
Scotty sets Bagwell up on a top turnbuckle for a superplex, but they end up fighting, with Buff raking the eyes to send Riggs down to the mat, allowing Bagwell to deliver the Buff Blockbuster, which is a flying somersault neckbreaker, for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Loser. Post-match, Bagwell walks up the ramp and the stairs, ends up getting some pyro before dancing with some of the ladies on the top stage area. You know what he used to do before his career in WCW, right? He was in the... He was a Chippendale boy. Entertainment business, according to Eric Bischoff on the show. The, um, I'm sure he was. <laughs> this is, was so long, but I'll give some flowers to Scotty Riggs. Mm-hmm. It's funny, too. It's like... All the, you're getting Bagwell sucks chants from guys in NWO shirts. Mm-hmm. They like three people in the NWO. They and there's like 40 NWO. people in the NWO now. You should have made this. You should have dragged out the people and made the people that join the NWO moderately important. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It's not the most terrible shit I've seen this match, I mean, but it was fucking. Felt like it was 20 minutes long. You let the giant into the NWO for a few minutes. You gotta let anybody. <sighs> Bischoff sends it to Jeff Katz, and he makes a weed joke about all the smoke in the arena, before making fun of Vince for dressing in a powder blue suit and a hairpiece, using it to transition into a question for his next contestant, asking her what she would wear if she dressed up, but she can't hear him over the band. The band is playing directly next to her. Yep. She's on the stage right next to the band, who's playing music. Why would you be able to hear him? Why are they playing music while you're asking questions in the first place? All good questions. <laughs> I mean, it's just yes. not a... More questions yeah. than answers from start to finish on this fucking show. It's not well programmed. They did not have a meeting. They're just like, all right, we got all the stuff, right? Let's go. Yeah. Remember when we think about everything we do before our shows? Let's just do the opposite for this mm-hmm. one. Katz then asks her if she would wear sexy lingerie with Vincent. With her responding, sure, why not? I want to die. She just shrugged. She's like, whatever. Okay. Give me my 50 bucks. Jeff moves on to another contestant who seems to be much younger than any of the others so far, asking if she would help Scott Norton with his flashing problem or add to it. With her responding, she'd add to it. Oh, he likes her. She looks 17. (laughs) She probably probably is his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. She is... uh, more traditionally attractive than everyone else, but she, it's creepy because she feels like that she just got her driver's license. Maybe she's 25, but she does. She looks of all of 17. So we go to our fifth match: Diamond Dallas Page versus Scott Norton. So leading up to the show, DDP had appeared to change his ways and join the NWO, putting on the T-shirt and shaking hands only to pull Scott Hall into a diamond cutter before escaping through the crowd. Page would then even save Eddie Guerrero from a beatdown to cement that he was fully WCW. Yeah, and to further prove, there's only three real members of the NWO. DDP is over. Yep. DDP is over because he's good and people like him and he's been made to feel important slowly over time. I'm going to say this now. I think there's technically four. I'll, I'll even give Bischoff. I'll even say Bischoff. So five real members. Of okay, the yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, to, you're you're not you're not wrong, but because they're the only ones that really matter. Yeah, all the rest of them are B team. Which so we talking Hulk, H- Hogan, Scott, Hall, Nash, Kevin? Six. Okay, six. Yeah. Because I don't know if you also notice. I mean, even on our version, I don't know if it was on the VHS version. Hogan Hall and Nash and Six get the true NWO ah, true. song. Yeah. While Norton, Buff. Masahiro Chano, Buff, I don't uh, who else. Big Bubba Rogers. <laughs> yeah. They had the B team music. Yeah. They already had different music for the underlings. They're already telling you not to care about them. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott uses his power advantage to start, so DDP takes a cigar break before the two men trade slaps until Paige pokes the eyes to take Norton down. The nerve of that guy, smoking a cigar. I mean, yeah. DDP's poking eyes and getting the chance. DDP reverses a hip toss into a swinging neckbreaker and a pancake slam. Signals for the cutter, only for Scott to evade with a jawbreaker and a clothesline. And then we see the crowd start getting exciting about something. It's Steve! Ah. You know, since Shivani's not there, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. While Norton delivers a shoulder breaker. What great looking shoulder breaker. Ramming him into the ring post. Railing. Posted. And ring steps on the outside. But he does that shoulder breaker from like the razor's edge position. It looks so good. The punishment continues back inside with a catapult under the bottom rope. When Paige ducks a short arm clothesline and delivers one of his own, followed by a sunset flip, only for Scott to stay up and punch down before attempting a butt splash that DDP avoids. I do love that Eric Bischoff talks about Scott Norton being a like doorman bouncer, and he's like about to say like at a bar, but he switches to club. It's like I thought you were counterculture here, but I was like, as if that's a cool thing to do. It's like, oh yeah, before this guy wrestled. He was a bouncer. Does anybody think of bouncers as cool guys? I mean, do you think the Road Warriors are cool guys? Yeah, they were bouncers in real life, but they are cool. You didn't need to tell us they were bouncers ever because they just have the charisma and they look awesome. And uh, nobody and everybody sold for them and they sold nothing, so they just shot straight to the top. Paige starts throwing everything at Norton to knock him down before flying off the top with a clothesline for a two-count, before countering a power slam into a DDT. Love to see it. And all of a sudden, Buff Bagwell, Big Bubba Rogers, Mr. Wall Street, and Vincent, a.k.a. the B-Team, <laughs> arrive, giving DDP one last chance to join the group. And, like, literally Norton's off in the corner like, what the fuck are you guys doing out here? I'm beating this dude down. Like, yeah. He's getting pissed off. And Paige, Paige is all like, hey, I have no issue with you guys. The NWO. We've punked each other. So we're even. It's all, it's all cool, guys. It's all cool. Buff hands him a shirt and DDP puts it on. And Paige, and Paige goes to shake hands with Norton, being like, hey... Part we're, of the team. We're, we're on the same team now. And the crowd does not like DDP putting on an NWO shirt. Oh, no. Which is nice to hear. But when he goes to shake hands, DDP pulls Norton into a diamond cutter before delivering right hands to everyone else and escaping out through the crowd. Yeah. Best moment of the pay-per-view so far. Easily. And Nick Patrick looks at the camera and goes, 
well, he's not coming back, so... Ten count. Yeah, Scott Norton. Scott Norton's the winner. Loser. Yeah, and... Yeah, I do love that DDP does the thing where he's like, I got no problem with you guys. I'm a little thick-headed. So are they. They're (laughs) NWO gang, gang members, essentially. Which is a nice touch, but... Eric Bischoff calls DDP dumber than a bag of dirt for turning down the NWO. He's the only guy that's been over on this show so far. And the crowd booed when he put on the shirt. You gotta know when to hold him and know when to fold him. Say, I can't believe he did that. Speaking of, a star is born. (laughs) I just love the fact that, like, the A-team has tried to get him to join the NWO. And he's like, No. No, I'm good. Hits Scott Hall with the diamond cutter. That's game over. And then this week at this pay-per-view, the B team comes out and is like, he'll take it now. Yeah. Not just the B team. Like, the guys that have been in for, like, a whole six and a half days probably. And they they came in while, like, Scott Norton was getting beaten down. While DDP was on top. They didn't come in and, like... Pull Scott Norton off of like a beaten down DDP and be like, "Hey man, let's let bygones be bygones. Join the NWO." He was winning in that moment. Yeah, and that's why they came down because if he was gonna win, they wanted him to be on their side. So that's a, there's some logic there, Shane. <laughs> there is some logic there. So we go to Jeff Katz, who's with another contestant, and he asks what her favorite maneuver is. Oh, good grief! What a maneuver! <laughs> She said she'd show him, but children are watching. And we see none of this conversation as they're still showing the replay from the previous match. Yeah. But we finally see Jeff, and he's with someone else, asking her what she'd do to make Chono's stay in America more comfortable. And her response was, anything he wants, as long as I have some chopsticks. Yeah, nonsensical uh, answer. I mean, honestly, the um, she said she'd do anything, but children are watching is the best answer so far, and uh, it wasn't even caught on camera. Yeah. Which Bischoff apologizes for, because in, instead of showing the women, he was like, we have to show the incriminating evidence. That was his words. I yeah. was just like, him doing the same thing to you and making you look like dumbasses for the second time? Yeah. Yeah, cool. We then go to our sixth match. The Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner versus the outsiders of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. I mean, at least here's a pay-per-view caliber match. So the last time we saw the Steiners was at Hogwild 96, episode 215. And our lovable NWO announcer calls the Steiners Michigan Muds. Michigan Muds. And Scott like kind of like looks behind him and he does not look very happy about no. it. Yeah, not the kind of guy you want to piss off. No. It's, and of course, the fans are chanting "Let's go Steiners" immediately, even though you know, if there's any chance of NWO guys getting cheered, here's two of them. You know what I'm okay with about this match? The fact that I didn't have to listen to that stupid Steiner Brothers song, because I've never really liked it. The whole Steinerized, here's the story of brothers Steiner. Rick and Scott. It just, yeah, it. I've, I've never, 
Never liked it. Yeah. I mean, I loved me the man called Sting and Natural, Natural. Oh yeah. But yeah, the yeah. the Steiner Brothers music I didn't like. So the fact that they walked out with no music, it actually made them seem a little more intense. Kind of like the Michigan Fight song better. Yeah. So for clarity's sake, since there's two Scots in this match, Scott is Steiner, Hall is Hall. Heard. Hall and Scott started off by exchanging strikes and arm wrenches until Hall applies an ab stretch. But Scott answers with a pump handle slam and a belly-to-belly suplex <sighs> that brings Nash in, only to be DDT'd by Rick, to clear the ring of the Outsiders. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I didn't notice the bell ringing for any of the matches before this one. Something I something I noticed. It's yeah, like, oh, the bell actually rang for this match. And then when I, that's when I noticed that... This is a match that people ring. might actually want to see. Yeah, because when I take notes, <laughs> I will, like, it'll be the, the ring announcement, and sometimes something happens before then. So I will, like, write two backslashes and then write bell and then two slashes so I know when the match actually starts. And this was, like, the first time I wrote it down, and that's the, why I noticed it. So it was just kind of an interesting uh, amateur hour ass NWO pay per view thing I noticed. Hmm. Rick and Hall now trade strikes when Steiner hits a body slam and elbow drops, leaps off the second rope, only for Hall to catch him and nail a fallaway slam for a two count. Scott returns only for Hall to deliver a choke slam and bring Nash in, who keeps up the attack with elbows, knees, and clotheslines. But he then charges into a big boot, allowing Steiner to hit a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall. And Rick takes over with a bear hug, but Nash immediately nails a forearm to escape, leading to them trading strikes until Steiner delivers a power slam for a two count. Crowd pretty firmly behind the Steiners. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's cheers for the outsiders, but the fucking Steiner brothers, they rule. Rick then misses a clothesline, followed by Hall hitting him in the back from the apron, allowing Nash to hit nail a big boot that sends Steiner out of the ring. Hall with the clothesline on the floor before rolling Rick back in for a near fall with leverage by Nash. And the outsiders are working over Rick with stomps, chokes, clotheslines, and snake eyes. Callback. Before a body slam and an attempted elbow drop that Rick avoids. But he doesn't know where he is in the ring. So Hall is able to continue to work over Rick, tossing him out to the floor where Nash drops him across the edge of the apron. Rick is then dragged back in for both outsiders to deliver side slams that get two counts, followed by a running straddle by Nash. And Scott has had enough, and he runs around the ring to attack Hall on the outside, flipping him off before returning to the apron as Rick is nailed with a short arm clothesline. And Nash begins to taunt Scott, even spitting at him, which gives Rick time to recover and go low, making the crawl to the corner for the hot Hot tag. (laughs) Scott cleans house with clotheslines to everybody, tiger bomb to Hall, side suplex to Nash, before Rick rejoins the fray to knock Kevin out to the floor. Rick picks Hall up on his shoulders while Scott climbs to the top only for Nash to make it back in to knock Rick down, causing Hall to crash into the ref on his way down, sending Patrick tumbling out to the floor. I mean, the crowd, this is the match is the hottest the crowd's been all night by fucking country mile. By an Iowa mile. Yep. (laughs) 
Paul then nails the outsider's edge to Scott, but there's no ref. Bum, bum, bum. While Rick runs Nash into the ring post. Posted. On the outside. Rick climbs the ropes to hit a diving bulldog, pulling Scott on top of Hall, when Randy Anderson <sighs> would leap over the railing to make the count for the pin. And, and the win. win. <sighs> and new. I mean, I'm excited. The crowd's excited. My blood started to pump a little bit in this match. A little bit. Finally. Bischoff would vow this wouldn't stand. I'm going to the championship committee. As DiBiase said, he wasn't a sanctioned ref. Eric even claims that fans are angry. Totally. Even though they're cheering. Yep. Before promising to fire Anderson on Monday. Yeah, right. And he did. No. While also stripping the titles from the Steiners and giving them back to the Outsiders. (sighs) Yeah. Yay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... Glad this match mattered. I mean, it mattered to the people in the ring. It mattered to me uh, mm-hmm. as I was watching it. I think it was a pretty great match and the only thing good on the show so far. And proof that WCW mainstays matter. Mm-hmm. DDP and the Steiner Brothers. People that... people Like, guys, people have been watching for years that are, like, one's... Started as a heel and has recently become a babyface over time. And the Steiners, who are just babyfaces because they're badasses. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. This show is missing a lot. I mean, when you've got. Is there like a packages before matches? Too? Arn. Because most of these matches are just thrown together anyway. Yeah. But. You've got Arn sitting in the audience. You've got Harlem Heat sitting in the audience. You've got the Faces of Fear sitting in the audience. You've got a Nasty Boy in the audience. Granted, some of those aren't mainstays whatsoever, but when you have a, a WCW, or at least a half WCW show without a flair, and I know he's injured, without an Arn, without a Lex, without a Sting. Yeah, crazy that Lex isn't on this show. Yeah. Uh, uh, but like, it's like, yeah, Heat, I know that they... Well, he kind didn't of, volunteer uh, to be uh, on the show. It's true. Well, Heat's been kind of over overexposed, so... Probably time for... But they were the first ones to be shown. Yeah, for them to step away for a little bit. <laughs> Nasty boys, what else are we going to do with yeah, them? Mean, but yeah, no, I We're, we're only down to one boy. Yeah, and the Faces of Fear had a great match with the Outsiders recently. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And as much as I like the Faces of Fear, I mean, the Steiner Brothers are the fucking Steiner Brothers. Did you guys notice that there was a spot where uh, Kevin Nash looks to have at least like cranked his wrist in the match? Wasn't sure if it actually resulted in a full injury or if he just tweaked something, but he was selling it. Like he wasn't selling it as a. Uh, I remember work. seeing it. Yeah, yes. yeah. I was just curious if something came of it, because then he went up, went on to work the match, in you know, not in any significant way that made me, you know, concerned. Concer- well, yeah, concerned because I was I was watching for it, but I was like, huh, I wonder what happened. Mm-hmm. But maybe just got a, caught a stinger. Sad fact. So. I'm not exactly sure on the timeline, but I wouldn't be surprised if the reason why they fired Anderson was because uh, he had testicular cancer, and oh. this would be what would end up taking his life in the future, but he would end up taking a few months off. Okay, when um, did he pass? 99. Oh, wow. I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's sad to So, know. I'm that's sure this, that's probably why they 
took him off the road to, so he could go and yeah. So it's cool. Get the help he needed. Cool little hero angle. Does he ever come back? Uh... Yeah, he comes back by March. Okay. So yeah. like too bad. So like literally, we may never ever feel like no, that he's gone. That yeah. he's gone. Yeah. Because but, he's back by the next major pay per view or whatever. Because like this is January, he's literally back in two months. Yeah, he's back on TV. So. Oh yeah, sorry to hear that, Randy. Yeah, uh, you know. R.I.P. Randerson. You're uh, yeah. Should have been Nick Patrick. I'm just kidding. I don't wish death on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding. Just you know, based on this show. See why somebody might feel that way. The views and opinions of Michael. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't want anybody to die, especially that way. But Nick Patrick's definitely making a case for some ill thoughts towards him in this uh, NWO themed show. Given many, many reasons for people to lock him in a truck and put their feet in his mouth. <laughs> well, that one, mm-hmm. uh, that one girl liked it. Yeah. Oh yeah. My feet. So we go to our seventh match. Eddie Guerrero versus six for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship in a ladder match. I know, this uh, raised my eyebrow. I think in one of the first couple of matches, the common, not-so-great commentary team uh, brought it up, and I remember uh, them saying Eddie Guerrero and six, and I was like, sounds pretty good on paper. And then Ted talking about how, you know, of course Razor Ramon has been teaching the tricks of the ladder match to six. Because... Razor Ramon was the inventor of the ladder match, right? Totally. Yeah, he came up with it all on his own. So the champ came out first. Foreshadowing. Even though the kid is the one with the belt. Because remember, he stole it at Starcade. Is this only the second Sean Waltman match we've seen in WCW since he's joined? I think that it's... It is, because at first I was like, is this the first one we've seen? Because he's just been palling around. Well, it, was, it was in the yeah World War Three. Yeah, but I think he might have had one other singles match that we've watched. But like, this is kind of the first so I'm trying he to may have. Because I, I remember him out in the crowd with a camera on yeah. Nitro. But I'm trying to remember if I've actually seen him wrestle. But my first thought was like, if this isn't the first one, then it's the second singles match we've seen with him. But it's kind of crazy that they haven't been... Using him with the other cruiserweight guys, considering that he's this the only other NWO guy that well, that was the part that confused me. Came from the other company was reading the notes here, seeing WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, and was like, wait, was this a heavy or a United States match or is this a light heavyweight? Because it's six. Didn't he have a match with Dean? I think he did. It might have been a Nitro episode, but he. I I was like, I feel like there was only one other singles match. Or maybe it was Jericho. I can't remember. But that's what I was saying. Is I think there was like one other match. But this is kind of we have. He hasn't been on these shows in any significant way. Whereas Eddie Guerrero has been on these shows in a significant way for a while, Mm -hmm. and you'll see that as the crowd reacts to him. Just saying. It's like everybody knows he's the one, two, three kid. But that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. That that angle happened, and he was getting over and all that. Yeah, just something I, mean, I thought. Just something I thought about. We don't have to do all it's the January homework now. Here. And yeah. Razor left back in like April or May. I think. Yeah, and I understand that six is not Hall or Nash, and we look at him now, and it's like, oh yeah, it's fucking that's X Pac, the one, two, three kid, six. So like, he doesn't really become. Who he is until 
after this, Let's but see. he still seems he's the only other guy from the WWF. In a, like, I guess in a significant way, it's like yeah, there's Ted and Vincent, but no, this is his first singles match. Okay, all right, yeah, pretty. Say, I remember seeing crazy. him in the crowd. Like, he was in the World War Three match. Yeah, so it's not the first match he's had in WCW, but first significant match. Wait, Wait. we can't call World War Three no. significant. Match four of what show is this? Because I just typed in his name in my email so it could find anything. Halloween Havoc, him and Jericho. Okay. 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 I was right. Okay. It was Jericho. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like I, I knew there. I, I swear. But it was that was, was that was in October. And it's January. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally fine. But it was just something something that I noticed. I was like, is this the? It's been so long that I was like, he really haven't seen him do anything. Mm-mm. So Patrick gets the belt hung up. And as it lifts in the air, Guerrero attacks, but Six fights back with chops and kicks. Eddie comes back with a head scissors takedown and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker that sends the kid out to the floor to regroup. But Guerrero doesn't let up by flying off the top with a plancha onto Six. And Ben's pretty behind Eddie Guerrero, but Sean Waltman looks to be working hard to uh, look impressive. This is his second actual match. Because World War Three, you can't tell what was happening, guys. So, back in the ring, Eddie continues with a turnbuckle smash, but he then runs into a knee in a corner. So the kid climbs the turnbuckles, only for Guerrero to meet him there when Six would knock Eddie off before flying off himself with a wheel kick. The kid with more chops and kicks to knock Guerrero down to the corner to deliver a Bronco Buster and a double stomp, before telegraphing a back body drop that Eddie flips over and nails a drop kick that sends six out to the floor. It's funny uh, that Eric and Ted are shitting on Seagull and Van Damme in praise of six as far as being a martial artist. Guerrero tries to bring him back in the hard way, only for the kid to reverse to suplex Eddie out of the ring, followed by six flying out of the ring with a somersault plancha as someone yells in the background some Ooh. inappropriate stuff that... Even Bischoff isn't Pumped doesn't on. like. No, he's like whoa, 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 whoa. What did he yell? Uh, he I mean, yells that Eddie letter. is a f word. Oh, okay. Uh, and very, very loud and clear on the audio. And Eric Bischoff is it was like <laughs> he's like whoa. He's, he doesn't he, he doesn't even make any kind of quip. He's just like Jesus, that's not good. <laughs> and that right there, <laughs> sir, is why Iowa was the first to have gay marriage, because <laughs> assholes like you. Uh, reboot yourself. <laughs> the kid goes up the ramp and grabs the ladder, and it looks like it's the only one that's anywhere around the ring. Mm-hmm. As it should be. And uses it to ram Guerrero into the apron before trying to bring it into the ring, only for Eddie to fight over control of it on the apron. I had a, a bit of an issue with this. Okay. Instead of Six pushing the ladder into the ring, he's like pushing it up against the ropes. You slide the ladder into the ring if you're an intelligent human. Well, Scott Hall is the technician that masters the ladder. Yeah. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's his little buddy, yeah. so yeah. he's not quite there yet. Or... <laughs> it makes, I mean, it makes sense with the spot that happens. It sets up the next spot. It, it sets up the next spot, but it looks like... If it makes if, him look dumb. If, if you're not a wrestling fan and you're like watching this, like if if you're watching, if your dad was nice enough to purchase his pay per view with you, and he's like, "All right, I guess I'll drink a few beers and watch this," 
How he would immediately be calling out why this guy would do this. Like, what the fuck is he doing? How pissed were the parents that actually paid for this show for their kids? <laughs> the kids, I mean, they were probably kind of pumped because the kids probably never asked for another pay-per-view. True. <laughs> and Guerrero uses the ladder as a pendulum into Six's face before tossing it into the ring to use as a weapon. Eddie then sets the ladder in a corner, attempting to whip the kid into it, but it's reversed, sending Guerrero into the steel instead, followed by stomping on it while the ladder is atop Eddie. Ouch. Six also pops up Guerrero for him to land gut first across the ladder, before opening it up in a corner. And all the while, we've got Eddie Chance, guys. As we should. Mm-hmm. Always. I don't dislike uh, Waltman as a wrestler, but he's no Eddie Guerrero. No. The kid then delivers a vertical suplex and begins to climb the ladder, only for Eddie to meet him at the top. So Six ducks down to hit a low blow through the rungs, causing Guerrero to fall down. The kid then closes the ladder up and climbs to the top turnbuckle to ride the ladder down onto his opponent. But Eddie's up, and he drop kicks the steel into Six's face, followed by nailing a superplex. Eddie, Eddie. Guerrero then opens up the ladder underneath the belt, and he begins to climb, with the kid doing the same on the opposite side. They end up fighting at the top, until Six leaps off with a drop kick to send them both crashing down to the mat. Pretty wild spot. They both climb again to fight once more atop the ladder with Eddie again being knocked off. But he bounces right into the ropes and off them into the ladder that knocks the kid and the ladder over. And that drop kick looks like Six may have taken the worst bump. A little bit. (laughs) He lands like right on his wrist. Our competitors again climb to fight atop the ladder with both men grabbing at the belt. Having a tug of war when Guerrero uses the title to clock Six in the face, causing him to fall off, as well as the belt falling to the mat. But Eddie drops down and grabs it for the win. Yeah. Post-match, Eddie goes out into the crowd to celebrate with the WCW crew, even getting a hug from Arn Anderson. Aww. Lucky bastard. So, I'm trying to remember, was he stripped of the belt as well, or... No, okay. and then you actually, like, hey, he won. He won. Fair and square. Okay. Yeah. I, there was a really, one of the lamest things, proof that the guys in the NWO, Eric Bischoff, have no idea, like, they don't, they're not counterculture at all. This is just pure cosplay, <laughs> and... uh it is completely proved when Eric Bischoff says this incredibly cringy line. Do this one for Allison Chains, man. <laughs> to like, <laughs> to about like six. He's like, yeah, you know, like trying to cheer him on. And he says, do this one for Allison Chains. What does that have to do with anything at all? It just makes you sound completely out of touch. It's so, so baffling. Regular that they, culture would do it for themselves. Counterculture would do it for Alice and Chains. No, no. Do it for the rooster, man. It's lame to do, to, to be like, I'm doing this one for, yeah, for the radio. A world famous band. For the, for the radio yeah. rock band. That's right. 
Uh, yeah, the one whose most famous song is about a fucking like do it for vet. Creed, man. Do exactly. it for Creed. Yeah, it's like I like <laughs> Alice in Chains. Yeah. I do. I do like Alice in Chains. I'm not shitting on Alice in Chains. I'm shitting no. on Eric Bischoff for not having any interest or finger on the pulse of a thing he's trying to like use to sell tickets. Do it for Alice in Chains. <laughs> If I could, would you? <laughs> if I could, yeah, yeah. one of their best songs. Eric then sends it to Jeff Katz, and he finally introduces all of our competitors by name. And this is where it gets off track. With graphics showing their careers, hobbies, measurements. Measurements, yeah. Actually, the young girl, her screen is actually the same as the girl before her. Mary? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, show, they show Miss Mary twice. <laughs> uh-huh, the, the Chiron is the same yep. or whatever. And that's where I actually paid attention to the names because I heard the name something and then I looked at the screen and I'm like, that's not the name that they said. Yeah. And then they showed the next girl and then the same card went up. I'm like, okay, cool. Also, Smart. if you're going to be like edgy, you can't say this line. When you see the ones you want to win, cheer your backsides off. Yes. Cheer your butt off is better than backsides. Why can't you say ass? It's a pay-per-view. It's a pay-per-view, exactly. You can say ass. I'm pretty sure you could say ass on the fucking, on Grace Under Fire. Say on NBC at this point. other than backside. <laughs> yeah. Tush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the last thing that Eric Bischoff was aware of that was cool was ZZ Top about fucking seven years See? ago. Tush. More than seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff says the final choice, though, belongs to Eric Bischoff. Who takes the mic and says the NWO picks winners. <laughs> and Eric continues that the competition is down to a tie. Miss Laurie and Miss Becky. Can I, uh, and this is neither the woman that was buoyant nor the young woman no. who we've all agreed were, the two... were probably the two most conventionally attractive ones. Absolutely. I mean, there was a guy, like, as clear as you could hear someone yell a slur, you could hear a guy. During one of the earlier matches, yell out, I love you, number four, who was the blonde, buoyant woman. And, but, yeah, old disqualified lady. She's still in the lineup. Yep. The, it was, that was Miss Mary. Was that Miss Mary? Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Here's, I want to say some of these things I wrote down from these Chirons real <laughs> please, quick. Please uh, some, one of the quotes was... I did not give a okay, shit. Okay, yeah, nope. yeah. I, got, I only got a couple before I gave up. But uh, one of the quotes was, uh, men with bowling shirts... Turn me on. They own them or are they wearing them? <laughs> like men, men in bowling shirts would be the correct way to write that. One of the hobbies was uh, treating hangovers. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool. Oh, uh, men in leather and flannel get my motor running. I did remember seeing that yeah. one. Yeesh. Man. I remember Miss Becky was a bus driver. <laughs> was she? Uh, drive. I also drive. love that uh, he takes his shirt off. Like if, if nowadays <laughs> her glasses would be considered what they call transition lenses. Yeah, yeah. The um an- another cringy thing in all of this is that Jeff Katz says that the choice belongs to Eric Bischoff, but he says the king Eric Bischoff. Gross. Yeah. Kings aren't cool. So Bischoff asks our final two, Miss Laurie and Miss Becky, a secret question. With them whispering their answer into his ear. Oh, causing I Eric like to react you. like it's something naughty. 
And Bischoff chooses Miss Becky as the winner and begins to make out with her mm. as Pyro goes off before saying, it's good to be king. Oh, so Becky. Eric looks like a lesbian and is also attracted to them. Yes. That was rude. My name is Becky with the good hair. It's <laughs> it was. Becky. Miss Becky is given a sash and a tiara, which look like a hubcap almost. Yeah. Like bent into a... Yeah, a little NWO. Before she does a victory lap and sits on her throne, which was a giant toilet. Yes, this is all in service of it being like, this lady's a little chubby. So this is all in favor of a this whole thing. Through, it's been running the whole show is a fat joke and not even a funny fat joke. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, like, it's not nice to make fun of uh, people's weight, but we can agree that we've laughed at a fat joke before. This one is completely poorly executed and not funny. Remember what I said at the very beginning about <laughs> anytime somebody from the Midwest, Nebraska, mm-hmm. Iowa, wherever ends up on TV, yeah. they're made to look a fool just so that the people running the show can make themselves look better. If anything, ding, I think this makes ding, Eric ding. look worse than anybody else. Yo mama's so fat she won the Miss NWO competition. <laughs> oh! That's pretty good. WCW hates women. Yeah, we could have, honestly, <laughs> man, I would have rather just, uh, Hung out and tried to recall fat jokes. Your, your mama so fat jokes. Uh, but hey, this is what we're here to do. Save that for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really want it to. But. Eric returns to commentary to discuss the main event with DiBiase, saying Hollywood will right the wrongs of tonight. Totally. So we go to our eighth match. The Giant versus Hollywood Hogan. With Vincent and members of the Dallas Cowboys, Nate Newton. George Teague and Ray Donaldson. And they, I think it was in an earlier match, they talk about how it's going to be Giant and Hulk Hogan because the show has like no packages. It just starts and matches happen. Anytime something gets teased, it's just on the mic poorly by Ted or Eric. So when I found out it was Giant versus Hogan, I was like, we're doing this again? Again, already. He's getting his title shot that he won at World War Three. I know. I know, but oh, nobody, right. rem- I but nobody he remembered. That. Nobody remembers World War Three. <laughs> I mean, you do. I had to watch it. I did too. I remember these things? Uh, I remember the bad camera angles more than the winner. I mean, it took Hogan and Savage like a year and a half before they had their match after World War Three, but or maybe it was just almost a year. I don't remember. Like nine months. Yeah, Either way, So as Hollywood makes his way out, Bischoff says all the promoters Hogan worked for owe him a grant of datitude. Yeah. Grant of datitude is very funny. First funny thing that's been said on the show. T-shirt idea, guys. Grant of datitude. Before also saying George Clooney wanted to be there, but the NWO didn't want that buff Bagwell wannabe. Hilarious. I mean, this is ER period, I imagine. Yeah. 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 Before he becomes one of... The most uh, uh, beloved movie stars in the last 30 years. We're, we're should be nearing From Dust Till Dawn, I believe, if we haven't already. I mean, One Fine Day had just come out. Yeah, we're close. Yeah, months. maybe it came out. Yeah, they really did have that same haircut, didn't they? Now that I'm picturing Buff from the show and Clooney at that time. Yeah, that yeah. classic so, Caesar. Well, Michael Clayton wore it better. True. So the match gets going with Hollywood getting in a kick and a rake of the eyes, only to be no-sold with a giant laying it in with chops to send Hogan bailing out to the floor to regroup. 
But the big man gives chase, so Hollywood lures him into a trap, attacking the giant as he returns to the ring. Hogan with right hands and chops before a reversed whip sends Hollywood to the ropes with both men going for clotheslines that gets us a double KO. They make it back to their feet with the giant in control with turnbuckle smashes until he tosses Hollywood out to the floor. Following out only for Hogan to rake the eyes and attempt to slam his head into the guardrail. But even with Vincent's help, it is reversed with the big man tossing them into the steel. Yeah. This match is happening. Yep. Back in the ring, Hollywood tries some shoulder blocks that again are no-sold. Before Hogan tries for an inside cradle on one of his attempts. Only for the giant to lift Hogan up for a body slam. The big man with an elbow drop and forearms across the back that sends Hollywood retreating to the floor once more. But the giant gives chase again. I do love that the crowd is behind Paul White. Because, like, how could you possibly cheer on the NWO after they've just given you nothing but poor wrestling angles and comedy? One after the other. And as the big man closes in, Hogan turns and throws powder into his eyes and starts to control the match with right hands, back rakes, and choking with wrist tape. Hollywood goes to roll the giant in, but he fights back to slam Hogan's head into the apron, followed by a backbreaker inside the ring. The giant heads up top, coming off with an elbow drop, only for Hollywood to move before making a cover for a two count. And there's a point where Eric says that the crowd is chanting Hollywood, which isn't true. No. You can hear the crowd. Giant, giant, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're not chanting Hollywood. That's uh-huh. not even a, they would chant, like, Hogan, not Hollywood. Hogan starts to wear down the big man with a chin lock and rabbit punches before hitting the big boot. <sighs> but the giant just absorbs it. That's what I meant to go yeah to when he absorbed it. <laughs> Hollywood then body slams the big man and nails the leg drop. Only for the giant to raise to his feet while Hogan is posing. That yeah. never happens. The giant delivers a choke slam, makes the cover for the pin, and no, Patrick just keeps saying Hollywood's kicking out oh. when he literally is not moving at all. Yep. So, I mean... This works better on television mm-hmm. than in the ring. Mm-hmm. So those poor 5,000 people. The Giants had enough of these shenanigans, and he just choke slams the ref, which brings out the NWO, or at least the B team. Buffing the boys. There you go. The big man choke slams all of them, while Bischoff grabs a guitar from the band to give to Hogan who proceeds to break it over the head of the giant. Gimmick infringement. And the official decision of this match is a no contest. But then the real NWO shows up to continue the punishment with a wooden chair across the big man's back while the crowd chants for Sting. The NWO then spray paints the giant's back before posing over his prone body as Hollywood asks... Who's next? First he says, full life, sucker. Mm. Promising to give the fans more fallen heroes. And Hogan says he'd do anything for Eric Bischoff before playing air guitar on the title belt as we go to credits. So I ask you gentlemen, 
What are your overall thoughts of NWO Sold Out 1997? It's Boo Boo, and there's two matches that I think are good and or fine, but they're not, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Steiners versus the Outsiders is not good enough to click on this and even drag the cursor to where the match starts. Nope. And even Eddie in six is pretty good and it's pretty fun. And the right guys won those two matches. The only two matches that I would even call wrestling matches. But it's still just not worth, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. <laughs> Don't give it the thing a click. Yeah, we have a short list but this show makes me want to start a new list because the short list is for best matches that we've seen of the year and this just makes me yeah it makes me want to have a shit list because unfortunately i guess if we had that we'd have to go back and review these matches and i don't ever 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 not even in a, a replay just fast track through something just a, a, a quick shot on the screen. I don't want to see anything on this fucking show again. I think the best thing about the show is that it shows you exactly not that well, mm-hmm. yes. That it shows you exactly what not to do. Save something for best moments. Like it's like <laughs> look look at how much of this works, which is nothing. The only thing that really works is that the <laughs> main the mainstay long term WCW guys that got themselves over are over. And that's like the only positive thing that happens is that like hard work and good work pays off in the eyes of the fans. But unfortunately, the mainstays of WCW on this show consist of maybe one match, the Steiners. Yeah, Steiners. Eddie is kind of a Eddie's new one. Eddie's not a mainstay. He's, he's not a mainstay, but he's new and he's got the fans over pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, DDP, who's been having great opening show matches consistently... For like the last two, at least two years on pay per view match on pay per views, like this is a bad show. It's we, awful. We, yeah. Awful. The entire first half is should should just be on the WCW Saturday Night. Yep. At best. Yeah, it shouldn't have made it to. It's not, it's not even. It's not even Nitro worthy. Yeah. It should be a VHS copy of WCW Saturday Night. But yeah, horrible. I mean, it should, the, the whole thing should be re- should have been. The second re- half of the show is better than Bunkhouse Stampede. <laughs> but not by much. And to your point, the problem actually wasn't any of the WCW guys. No. Actually, the WCW guys are some of the either most over or up and comers that are that I mean, obviously we're looking back at it twenty seven years later. Yes. So hindsight is twenty twenty. We know where these guys are going. But the B team, like I mean, it goes back to this. This that should be on WCW. The B team is seventy five percent of the show. Is seventy five percent of the show? Yeah. yeah, and they hadn't had enough time to even establish themselves as a part of the NWO because when, yeah, the last show we watched was in December, and the majority I mean, of them we, were we, still we, WCW. We, uh, we mentioned that they had joined the NWO at that point. Had they already? Okay, but they didn't show up on Starcade to even establish that like they were important enough. Okay. To, because when the NWO comes out, they don't come out with them. I imagine that on those stupid like internet like ranking list things, like clickbait things, that this show has got to be among 
the like the top ten or whatever worst WCW Cage, shows. I want to say it's like a two or a three on Cage Match as a show. Like but, the thing I looked up just because I was trying to find different quotes that the announcer guy, the loser guy, said. Oh, the loser guy. Yeah. Uh, the headlines or taglines that I'm seeing on all of these, we've got. What was WCW thinking when they put on NWO sold out 1997? They don't know. They thought that they were going to be cool when they came off. Mike cool. reviews cool. shows considered to be stinkers. NWO sold out 1997. Eric Bischoff on why the NWO sold out struggled as a pay-per-view. Because it was um, poorly pr- poorly put together. Yeah, it didn't need to be a show. And you were trying to be cool and failed every second of the time. Trying to be cool is not cool. Everybody knows that. Yeah, it's a 3.33 on Cage Match. Ooh. Out of 10, that's how Cage Match works, right? Yeah. Someone really liked it in 2013 and gave it a 6. And that's why it's that high. I wish oh, they wow. would show that person's name so everybody could <laughs> contact them and have them watch it again. Dox him. Well, on Cage Match, Dox you now him. have to... You do have to... Oh, there's no anonymous? There's no anonymous because they were having too many people going out there and like messing with stuff uh, purposely downgrading shows great shows certain shows just because it was it was tribalism yeah 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 too much of it not here guys we're uh anti-NWO and And we'll give everything it's equal value I was uh embarrassed to be somebody who considers themselves a fan of professional wrestling while watching this show, I was contemplating my life and the amount of time I've put into watching wrestling, and that is a really negative thing to say. I, I was thankful I didn't get a text going, I quit. This may be the last show I ever watch. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, while I was getting through it, I seriously felt that way. It's like, what am I even doing? That's how bad it was that I just, I felt bad for liking something. Don't make me feel bad for liking something. They can be great. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I will com- combine this with surprising that Gotti Riggs got a lot of offense off and it looked nice. And I didn't even... Never even thought about Scotty Riggs once in my life, and we've watched him wrestle. You may never think of him again. Exactly, but that was one of the things where I was like, oh, Scotty Riggs is uh, really beating down Buff Bagwell and doing it uh, very crisp and cleanly. He's doing his job well here. Not that it amounts to much, but that was kind of surprising that somebody was actually doing something. It took a while for anybody to do anything on this show, and Scotty Riggs was actually like... Working, working hard. This may be the only time that Buff Bagwell ever gets any flowers, mm-hmm. but the Buff Blockbuster is a really cool finisher. Yes, no, it looks. I awesome. mean, obviously, yeah. obviously, it's much cooler once uh, Athena or whatever her name back in WWE was. Ember, what is that same Ember Moon? Ember Moon, Ember Moon yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's yeah, the, she, it's she's, the same move. Yeah, she's great at it. Yeah, and, uh, it's, a, it's a great finisher. It looks yeah. a whole lot better when she does. It, oh actually. yeah, totally. Hugh Morris. She's like four eight. Yeah, his moonsault. No, no laughing matter is yeah, great. His moonsault. Six's drop kick on the ladder takes balls. Like that, yeah. Like to even go. I'm going to jump because 
Nick Patrick is not holding the ladder. No. So literally, he has to hope to God that he is able to, to connect to jump straight up to be able to then kick out. Yeah. Into a drop kick. And uh, he takes the worst bump for it, but it is an impressive bump. Is that the best match on the show? Yes. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's that and then the tag match are one and two. The tag match takes a step down just because of, you know. Yeah. They're not going to take the belts off of the outsiders. No, but like it's, they gave the Steiners the win it in the night and the crowd is into it and uh, the Hall and Nash have the respect to actually work with the Steiners. Where they don't, guys don't always have that. They're just like, they've had the respect to work a great match with the Faces of Fear. There's guys that they'll, they'll work with. I mean, with. that's the, like, you can say what you want to say about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. At this point in time, they're not... They're doing the work. They're not completely full of, I mean, not completely full of themselves. They're full of themselves. But yeah. They're not completely full of themselves. It's not a... That, that, yeah. Like, they're still putting their working boots on and going out there and trying to... Put on a good match. Put yeah. on a, a, as best of a match as what you can. Because, I mean, we all know Kevin Nash is not the greatest no. thing ever. No. But he's out there working hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we all... I think Scott Hall doesn't ever have his drug problems. Scott Hall goes down as possibly one of the best wrestlers to oh, definitely. ever do it. But I mean, he, yeah, he, he, t- he taints his legacy very, very hard. Yes. Yeah, to the detriment of his work. Yeah. You know, there's some guys that had those problems and were still able to work. His work, his looks, everything. <laughs> I know. What a handsome boy. Mm-hmm. Don't do drugs, kids. I'm trying to think of any other best moments, and that's... Few and far between. Yeah. Like, I'd say it ended, but it ended with an ending the way it ended, and I would rather not have even watched any of it. I wanted to say this, that I do think that I was... I would have been completely heartbroken if the NWO was over inside the arena the whole show, and I would have lost all hope for humanity. But for the the, the idea that it's not, not all... The, the NWO is not over on this show. Like, they don't, none of them get fucking cheered in any real or significant way. They're the only ones that really get cheers at all. Yeah, and the Steiners are still getting, like, bigger pops. And, like, so that was nice to know that, like, not only did this not work as a pay per view, it didn't work in the arena full of NWO shirts for the people that paid for an NWO shirt. They're still, you can see them on screen chanting for faces and booing the NWO members. So like like I said, it's just a cool T shirt and this pay per view absolutely proves that it's just a pretty cool T shirt. Mm-hmm. Oh I thought of one. The T shirt company? They Scott are. Steiner's they really are. reaction to the whole Michigan mud. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. I found one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a fucking T shirt. I will uh, that was a good reference, man. Most disappointing? Start to finish. <laughs> the idea that I mean how can you be like when it's just bad I like yeah. I don't know if you can really be disappointed I think that because my... like literally you go the first match I mean first match pops up it's Masahiro Chono and, and Chris Jericho and you're kind of like okay cool okay like I don't 
know exactly how this goes like and it's but it's not good because chono probably shows up to the to the building and goes i'm working with who yeah yeah even he was though, just in the even tokyo though, Jer- jericho like literally works japan yeah he's like you're making me wrestle super lagger yeah who <laughs> yeah they don't they haven't like chono had no business dealing with chris jericho in japan yeah and so to put him in the ring with him here is like, they don't have any chemistry. No, there was no. The match isn't good, and they're two fucking legends. But there's no reason for Chono to put on his working boots in fucking Iowa. Yep. <sighs> I mean, I, the most disappointing thing to me is that they thought that this would work and would come off as cool when the ideas are about as lame as possible, and it just shows. Like I said, Eric Bischoff. His idea of what's cool is like what's cool to a twelve-year-old boy. They got put into alternative school for like being a bully or like setting trash cans on fire. It's not cool. None of this is. None of this comes off as like cool or interesting or counterculture. It comes off as just like shitty, like you know, lame bully stuff. It's like a kid, a kid out, kid that came out of a like came out of a bad home, like just being, just being a pain in the ass. Which isn't cool. It's a bummer that that happened to that kid, and he's acting out. But it's not cool. Like mine is tied probably between the uh, unbelievably beautiful selection of women that we had to <laughs> I love you go for for Miss NWO and Ted DiBiase on commentary, just because. Truly, Million Dollar Man was always one of my favorite characters, personalities, Mm -hmm. wrestlers, all of it. And yeah, he's got the laugh still, but Ted DiBiase in WCW is just boring as shit. I mean, this is the. Remember, like, early Raws where they had that son of a bitch from, like, the Shock Jock Radio? Mm hmm. This is worse than that. This commentary is worse than that. Oh, yeah. Because at least that guy's trying Rob. jokes, and it comes off as lame and try hard. Barnett? Yeah. 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 Yep. And uh, this might be worse commentary than the one with the voiceover fake commentary from the uh, early ECW <laughs> show. This is like, yeah, tournament show we watched. Yeah. And that was bad. But at least it was like so bad that it's kind of funny. Whereas this was just kind of... Im- not kind of. This yeah. is embarrassing... For Eric Bischoff and Ted DiBiase, one of which is a legend, and the other one is a 12-year-old child. I would have just rather them brought in like a Japanese announce team or something like that, so I would have no idea what they were saying, and <laughs> yeah, I probably would have enjoyed it just that much more. <sighs> Loser. I'm a best performer of the night. I'm going to give it to six, actually. To six? Why not? Not number four? No. <laughs> Miss Becky is pretty close. But. <laughs> I'm uh, gonna give it to the NWO toilet. Just kidding. And I'll just give it to the the voiceover guy, the loser. Oh, I hated that. Actually, I hated that. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna give it to Nick Patrick. There you he go. Work every match on this show. I Very mean, true. that's true. That is true. I don't know that he did a great job, but he did a job. He and was he there did it all he night. Did the job. Yeah. He uh, had to think of different excuses as to why he couldn't count that pin so mm-hmm. thinking on his feet while he's laying on his ass and how about most surprising oh i really didn't think that 
the Steiners would win the belt. It's obvious that they were going to take him off of him because it wasn't the it was Randy Anderson and not Nick Patrick. But they gave him the win, and it was nice that Eddie won. So like, he finally got his belt. He finally gets to celebrate with it. Yeah, for sure. So like those two things, pretty cool. And they're also two best matches on the show. So it's nice that the two things that could potentially be worth watching uh, have solid, I don't know about solid, but uh, positive outcomes. I don't even know. Yeah, That's surprising. Just, just get out of here. <laughs> that I made it through the whole thing in one sitting. Me too. I Jeff Katz. Like... I mean, his backstory I'm surprised by, but I didn't yeah. enjoy him on the well, show. That, that, <laughs> I didn't, like, I didn't on the show, that. no. But, like, knowing that, like, literally he comes into, he's probably 18, 19 years old, and he's doing this, and then what he goes on to do, yeah. being a film producer. Yeah. Ten years later, he's responsible for like, Freddy versus Jason. Backstory. I'm okay with um, that. I was probably the most surprising and interesting thing that happened on the show. It was like, oh... The chubby guy asking the dumb questions like, went on to be very does, successful. Like, is probably the most successful person that is on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than maybe Hogan. Yeah. I mean, he... And you know that the wrestling promotion he started was out of love. Because yeah, he was one of the things lo- like... He, he loves wrestling. He made his money uh, producing films and then put on wrestling, which was probably a net loss by choice. Yeah, it never got shown anywhere, but yeah. you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, that was just a passion project. Not a, uh, obviously didn't think he was going to start WCW2 or even something like a TNA or ROH. For the love of the game. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish... The Great Muda had become the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion in the Tokyo Dome, but now headed to Asheville, North Carolina for Super Brawl 3 on February 21st, 1993. He would face a former horseman. Barry Windham, born 1960, is a second-generation wrestler, trained by his father Blackjack Mulligan and Harley Race. He would debut in San Angelo, Texas against J.J. Dillon, in 1979. Much of his early career was in championship wrestling from Florida, even winning the NWA Florida United States Tag Team Championship three times with his brother-in-law, Mike Rotunda. The tag team would move to the World Wrestling Federation in late 1984, debuting as the U.S. Express, quickly making an impact and becoming the WWF Tag Team Champions multiple times but would lose them at the first ever WrestleMania. Wyndham would shift to Jim Crockett Promotions in the fall of 1986, having memorable matches with the Nature Boy Ric Flair, including three five-star matches, according to Dave Meltzer. Barry would eventually shift back to the tag team division, this time with Ron Garvin, capturing the NWA United States Tag Team Championship. But after losing those belts, Wyndham would then become the first NWA Western States Heritage Champion, defending it against the likes of Rick Steiner, Big Bubba Rogers, until losing to Larry Zbysko at Bunkhouse Stampede. Barry would then join forces with Lex Luger, who had just been kicked out of the Four Horsemen, to take on the legendary tag team of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. But Wyndham would betray Luger and be invited 
to join the Horsemen. With his new backing, Wyndham would win the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship, defending against Brad Armstrong, Dusty Rhodes, Sting, and Bam Bam Bigelow over the course of his nine-month reign. Barry would end up dropping the belt to his rival, Lex Luger, at Chi-Town Rumble in 1989, followed by his contract with JCP expiring, so Wyndham would head back to the WWF for a short run. Barry would return to the Four Horsemen by the summer of 1990, spending his time teaming with Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious. But after Ric Flair was fired from WCW, the World Heavyweight Championship would be vacated, so Wyndham would meet his rival Lex Luger for it at the Great American Bash in 1991, only to be unsuccessful. The Horsemen would also fall apart at this point, leading Barry to feud with the new Dangerous Alliance over the WCW World Tag Team and WCW World Television Championships into 1992, before also feuding with the Miracle Violence Connection over the unified WCW-NWA tag belts. Wyndham would then make his challenge for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship and win it for the first time. After the match, returning Ric Flair would try to place the belt around Barry's waist, only for him to realize who it was and stomp away. Wyndham would then become a lone wolf, feuding with his former horseman partners, leading to a match with the dirtiest player in the game. Next week, crossing the line again. Again. Hmm. Seems like such a long-winded title. It sounds like a lyric to like a, the chorus of a 80s rock song. Maybe so like a 38 special. Like, so I was thinking Carly Simon. Oh. I think they're trying to pull the idea from the night the line was crossed. Yeah, yeah, for sure they are. From uh-huh. a few years ago. Because yeah. you can't have the night the line was crossed. 1990. Again. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I'm intrigued. Find out what line was again crossed. Same here, buddy. So I'm trying to remember. Maybe we'll find that the next night week. the line was crossed, or whatever it was. That was the 60 minute Shane Douglas, Terry Funk, and Sandman match. Does that sound right? I'm trying to remember. Is that where it, like it started with two of them, and then one of them joined halfway, or oh, 10 yeah. minutes in, or mm-hmm. okay? Because I mean, yeah, they've got. Their titles are weird. Crossing the line and when worlds collide or something like yeah. that that doesn't really have any I mean, the, worlds the ECW colliding. shows everybody remembers the name of are like November to Remember and... Sabu, not Sandman. Okay. Oh, that's right. And um, Heat Wave. Keep it short, sweet. Barely hey, legal. You know, oh, yeah. Music from this week's show is Cop Killer A by Rolf Rogond. Cop and killer, like cop, the, like, the, like the, uh, what is the, not what's Ice T's band called? Cop uh, killer. They had a song that got pulled from the shelves. I don't remember. Body count. Yes. The body count I song. Think of it. Yeah, I should have known it as well. Took a second. And Hogan won victorious, but the NWA stood tall at the end. So we're gonna play Rock House by FCD Music. I mean, heard heard it enough. 
you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you liked Sold Out, <sighs> draft the email and don't hit send. And walk into the restroom, <laughs> look at yourself in the mirror, put your hand up just a few inches away Aww. from your face, and then just go nuts. Slap it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or any of those things that they just mentioned, <laughs> you can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at Wrestling X. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. X. Where X marks the spot. We'll talk to you next week. Loser. 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 And Loser. Loser. <laughs>